By the time you hear this podcast, you will spend your next Saturdays in the park. Episode 76. Oh, yeah. What's up? Turn me up a little bit. Turn me up. Don't turn me down. There we go. All right. So, uh, everyone who's listened so far, let's put the camera on us. There we go. <laughs> uh, everyone who's listened to us so far, we definitely appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate your listening and your downloads and your spreading the word. And, um, yeah. So <laughs> if you want to spread the word and sometimes you forget, like I forget things, um, you can tell people how you can find us by, uh, well, if you're watching us on Facebook live, you're already there. Mm-hmm. Facebook.com slash by the time you hear this, um, spell with the word you also, that is our website by the time you hear this.com where you can listen to each episode and look at, um, links and videos to topics that we discuss. If you are on Instagram, you can follow us at by the time you hear this spelled with the letter U because we're upstanding. Yes, we are. Uh huh. And that is the same spelling for our email address. By the time you hear this at gmail.com, where you could send us your comments, questions, concerns, show ideas. If you're an independent artist, we'll play your music and discuss it for absolutely free. All right. And if you want to listen to us on the go, as many uh, people listen to podcasts are listening on the go, you can uh, go to uh, Podomatic, or if you have an iPhone, you can use the Apple Podcast app, aka iTunes, 
or if you have an Android, you can use the Google music app and search for podcasts there. Leave us a review, five-star review, uh, in either of those places, if you would, please. And, uh, we'll read it on the show. If, uh, you know, if you just leave us a review, yeah, we'll read it on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also listen to us on tune in radio, auto radio, overcast, Castbox, satchel podcast player, and any other podcast aggregate apps that are given away for absolutely free in your local app store. Yes. All right. So, um, let's get into the show, man. Um, What was the first one I had? Okay, yeah. yeah. First one, Whitney <laughs> Houston, Bruno Mars. Uh, let's discuss the, the I don't know, any excuse to talk about Prince. <laughs> uh, so the Black Album, uh, which is, I guess the cover has no, there's no cover art or it doesn't have his name on it. Yeah. Um, that came out in 1994. A rare edition, a limited edition of the black album sells for more than $5,000. The black album on vinyl. He won't see a cent. Will the state see a cent though? I don't know. Let's see. Was it on Warner brothers? Yeah, it was on, it says uh, from Warner brothers. They might get a cent. Yeah. Warner brothers gets the rest, Uh, but only 50 albums of the copy of the uh, 50 copies of the album were pressed. So, um, it, uh, sold, um, it sold for $5,332. Yikes. I'm seeing that copy number two. So copy number zero, zero, zero two is on sale in the Discogs marketplace for over $6,800. There are only 50 of them. There are only 50 copies. I wish I had money to just blow like that. Just be like, what you want to buy? Prince album price of a used car. <laughs> so uh, it came in a white sleeve and no credits on it. Uh, record company information is only on the spine. And you said it labeled zero, zero one to zero five zero. Wow. And it is sometimes referred to as the funk Bible released in 1994. It originally was slated for release in 1987 as a follow up to sign of the times. And there was uh, no printed title. It just said no artist name or production credits or photography, just an all black sleeve that came with the CD on promotional copies. Only a song listing and a catalog number were on the CD and Prince ordered the album to be withdrawn a week before its release date. And the album was replaced with love sexy, which was released in May of 1988. Mm. And the project was released in a strictly limited edition and then totally deleted from the catalog on January 27, 1995. And it has been released exclusively to title. Of course. Why not? <laughs> so you know? If you have title, you can listen to the album. So, um, or if you have, you know, about $7,000 to spare, <laughs> you can bid to buy a limited edition vinyl version of the album. Hmm. Might one day be worth it to talk about because when you put in black album, of course, three albums come up now. You got the Jay Z, the black album, which was literally called the black album. Yeah. You got Metallica's the black album, which was self titled, and the the black album Prince. Like it's just <laughs> Weezer didn't make one, did they? 
I don't know. They know had, they had, a, a, bl- they had, had a, a blue album. They had the blue album. I don't think they had a black album. Yeah. Okay. And of course, there was the gray album, which was the mashup of the black album yeah, and the white album. So, yeah. Which would be interesting. To, you can't find that on like Spotify or anything, can you? No. That'd be interesting you to talk can, about. There, you can torrent it or find the the zip file because it was it was a free download. Yeah. Danger Mouse did Danger that, Mouse, right? Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, he couldn't put it out like normally because he was going to get sued. Yeah. That's so dumb. It just ends <laughs> up being a free tape. Yeah. But it's still pretty good. Um, speaking of people blowing money <laughs> for music, um, Martin Shkreli just mentioned this. I'm not even going to pull up the story. I just thought it was funny just yeah. to think about. So Martin Shkreli, AKA pharma bro. I was going to say, you got to call him by his name, his nickname, <laughs> pharma bro. Um, he is, uh, likely headed to prison. I'm not sure what for some kind of fraud. Yeah. Seven years in prison. Um, yes. For fraud. Okay. Yeah. Basically fraud. So, he will be, uh, he had to give up, he, he, you know, some items were seized, I would think. Uh, one of them is the a famous Wu-Tang album that he paid $2 million for. He has the only copy. <laughs> that's just, that's still funny to me when I heard about that. Like, one album for $2 million. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and he also has an advanced copy of Lil Wayne's The Carter Five. So which, he's got to give that back to? Yeah. So now the feds get it? <laughs> yeah, but uh, according to Birdman, I know him and Will Wayne been going back and forth for what seems like a couple years now. Yeah. But uh, Birdman says the album is going to come out this year. Huh. Okay. So then it won't be worth anything. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Guess it won't matter then. Just but give it back. Think, you think someone at the feds is like, you know, Trying to copy the album to their computer. Or I wouldn't be surprised if they try and leak it. <laughs> they try to like leak it to a radio station for some money because they you know. got. But they, yeah, yeah, they, they as long they got to get some money out of it. Yeah, there'll they be that one money. corrupt like federal agent that's like, this is my ticket out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, he had to get he had to give those things up as far as being seized. But I just thought it was funny. He that the first time I even heard of him is when. Um, he bought the Wu-Tang album. Yeah. No, Reddit hates him. Hmm. It, it has been at the top that he's going to prison for like half the day, if not all day. Like Reddit cannot stand him because <laughs> he's the guy who basically was taking um, like very important drugs that people needed to live and, and just spiking the price. Yeah. Just yeah. to make money. And it just, it was, it's kind of, I mean, like if you know, you're the type of person who believes in, in health, you know, access to healthcare for all is absolutely disgusting what he did. So, um, a lot of people are happy to see him suffer. That's good. All right. <laughs> um, cool story, bro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe when he gets out, he'll have like some, uh, one thing I hear more about, like when you hear about people going to prison, you hear certain jokes about, um, what could happen to them in prison. Yeah. But instead of, you know, sexual assault, you hear more about, making toilet wine that's the common <laughs> prison joke i hear now um if there is such thing as a common prison joke but yeah toilet one but why don't people do that like do you think i, I it, it got me thinking oh, like goodness. do people do that in their homes make toilet wine make toilet wine in their own home like just have a bathroom where this is the toilet making this is the after they get the out of prison or just you know just for in fun. general just for fun in general 
I mean, if if it was after they got out of prison, okay. But do people do it like just in general? So we, we like as in like, I don't, we found I don't, a way I still don't know how it's done. Toilet wine. We found a way to. I don't want to know how it's done, but because <laughs> it reminds me of there was a restaurant out in California, I believe it was, that sold. Um, I think it was like either forties or something like that in a brown paper bag, and they upcharged for it, and everybody was like, "What? Are you kidding me?" This is stupid. Yeah, it's like charge for the for the bag for everything for the whole expi- for the experience for the experience of the brown. And so it's just kind of like so we took toilet wine and we did the same thing. So it's like you go to a restaurant in California, and like oh this is our finest toilet wine, <laughs> <laughs> circa last week, and it's like you know eighty dollars a bottle for something you could have made in your toilet at home. It was spe- <laughs> was it made at a special prison? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Um, this was made in the most vintage toilet in Alcatraz. <laughs> I don't know, but no, I mean, I can't imagine. That's gross. I'm not drinking anything out of the toilet. I'm not a dog. <laughs> I'm not a little kid anymore. No, don't go to prison, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, over, I guess, over the past week, um, there were a lot of tweets and thoughts and prayers, which sounds empty that phrase sounds emptier and emptier by the day yeah but um thoughts and prayers to to rick ross yeah were put out there uh he was hospitalized with um uh, i heard a lot i heard a couple of different stories i don't know really what the truth is at first yeah. i heard pneumonia yeah i was like okay pneumonia that's nothing to play around yeah. with so um so he was hospital. I heard he was hospitalized for that. Yeah. But then someone said someone close to Rick Ross. It's always someone close, close. to him, right? <laughs> someone close to Rick Ross said, "Oh no, it was a, it was a heart attack." Yeah, that's what I heard. I heard the heart attack. Okay, heart attack. Okay, I I mean I could see that, but then like people started adding details. Yeah. About the heart attack, like a game of telephone. Yeah. So it's like he had a heart attack. Um, a threesome. <laughs> what with with some strippers in his house at his house? What a way to go! <laughs> <laughs> at least it wasn't on the toilet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least it wasn't on the toilet. So um, he was hospitalized for a few days. He went home. He's okay. Yeah, he's been treated yeah. at his residence now. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, speedy recovery. I I thought we were going to lose him, to be honest. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's like he was found unresponsive. Mm -hmm. That can go a lot of different directions. So I did see a meme someone posted on Twitter saying that they were in an elevator and an older white woman got on and said, I'm looked him dared in the eye and said, I'm sorry about your about Rick Ross. (laughs) Sorry to hear about Rick Ross. And the person looks at her like, what? Just imagine, like, oh, oh, sorry to hear about Biggie. <laughs> like he's my cousin or something. Like, oh, thank you, thank you. We're all hurt right now. We're all hurting. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm going to take the rest of the day off. <laughs> Man, if I could use that to get out of work for Michael Jackson, like Ben, we just heard about Michael Jackson. Are you okay? I don't know. I just need some time to sort this out. I can. Can I go home? Of course, of course. <laughs> oh man. I could. It's like, I'm sorry to hear about Elvis, huh? <laughs> like, you better get out of work. <laughs> you know, you know how it would. I, I think the next black person that 
um, that people are going to try to use their passing as an excuse. I think it'll be anybody, any Obama, any of them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Any of them. It'll be an excuse to get out of work. If he just, if he even slips, falls, goes to the, like the IC, ICU, like, Oh Lord Jesus. It'll be like he has a headache, but then sometimes <laughs> it, it, then it turns into, Oh, he had a concussion. Oh, he's in a coma. Oh, he's slipping. <laughs> we don't know how long he's going to be with us, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> then he just wakes up. All these cameras what are you uh, <laughs> talking about? <laughs> anyway. Um, so biopics. Uh, always good to have biopic news. Mm-hmm. Um, the estate of Whitney Houston has approved uh, a documentary and it is going to have unreleased recordings, uh, which excites me. The documentary simply titled Whitney uh, should be out this July and it's going to have rare, never be seen, never before seen footage and live performances recorded by Houston at various points. Uh, Kevin McDonald is the uh, filmmaker for this. He uh, previously made One Day in September. I believe that was about Bob Marlett. No, no, no. One no, Day in September. Marlett. I think it was about the NFL draft. I think so, yes. I do remember that, yes. Or college football. It was something to do with football. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. But, uh, and also the Bob Marley documentary, Marley. Marley. Yeah. Um, and it will also have original studio recordings and acapellas of her greatest hits. Uh, it's always interesting to hear, like, great artists like hear their acapella recordings mm-hmm. because you it, just to, you know, be in the, it's like you're in the room as far as like the process of making. Oh, I song. love acapella. Um, yeah. Work. I love um, it. It's always good to hear like Marvin Gaye's acapellas mm-hmm. or hear his, how he put background vocals together. Yeah. Or to hear Freddie Mercury's acapellas. I've been hearing <sighs> a lot of those. Yeah. Him. And so, yeah, there's a lot of them on, um, on YouTube. People just getting the isolated vocals and they sound so good. Scott Weiland was another guy. His mm-hmm. his work with STP more than his work with Velvet Revolver sounded really good. Yeah, I love that stuff. So yeah, that you have that to look forward to with the upcoming Whitney Houston documentary, and uh, it has been described as a def- as a definitive look at her life and legacy. Eh? Okay. I'll, uh, so if, I'll it, if it's definitive, that means like, okay, no one else needs to make a documentary about Whitney Houston. It better have drug use in it. It's got, it's got to have a drug use, uh, or it's not definitive. <laughs> Bob, you have, you got to have Bobby to participate in some way. Yeah. Or it's not definitive or it don't count. It needs to be a checklist for <laughs> what makes this definitive. Okay. You know, um, and Kevin McDonald said in a statement, I approached Whitney's life like a mystery story. Why did someone with so much raw talent and beauty self-destruct so publicly and painfully? I was lucky enough to have the support of Pat Houston and the Whitney Houston estate in this quest. They entrusted me with the keys to the vault while giving me complete freedom to follow the story wherever it went. At heart, Whitney is an intimate family story that reveals a new side to a woman that even her most diehard fans never knew. I'm going to go out, go on a limb and say that uh, she was self-destructive because of Bobby. Might be an unpopular opinion. It's just what I think. I think that's just part of it. 
Big part. I don't Maybe know. Maybe half. It, 40%. 40%. <laughs> I think a lot of people like to say Bobby, but I don't think he was the whole the whole thing. We'll wait. I'll wait for the definitive look. I wonder if they'll talk about <laughs> how, because it, it's, I, I never hear of it. Was she in love with Jermaine Jackson? I don't know. Was she, or did she have an affair with him while he was married? Like, no one talks about that. But I think it was like so covered up because this was right at the beginning of her career, like with her first album. Hmm. And like, and Clive Davis like shut everything down or something. Maybe that'll be in the definitive look. <laughs> yeah, I, it's got to be something to that. If, I mean, how far are they going to go? If you're saying that you're going to look at her self destruction, um, in public, how, what what the people saw. You know, is there, are there, what other things could have, that's why I'd say, I don't think Bobby is the whole thing. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm looking at them. That, that'd be a weird looking couple. My Lord. He just did not age well. (laughs) Well, you know, when you have to paint your scalp every morning, (laughs) just to make it look like you have some hair. I mean, he kind of looked weird back then too, honestly. I mean, like just looking at, I don't know if this is the cover of it though, but she had the short hair Yeah, and he had the, you know, the black he had, mullet. He had a, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really, well, it was a shag. Well, yeah, the black. A shag, it a shag, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. But it looked like it was too long. Yeah, or the back. Too, it was kind of, yeah, it was, a, it was awkward looking. A lot of business up front, too much party in the back. Yeah. <laughs> as they say. Yeah. Cut or the, the, the party was bleeding into the business. So it just looked <laughs> like, um, uh, I'm going to use a, a word I've only heard Pat Oswalt use: a hillock, <laughs> a hillock of hair. <laughs> have you heard his new? Have you heard his new stand-up? No, I haven't listened to it. I've checked it out. It's yet. pretty good. It's pretty good. All right, so uh, look out for the documentary simply titled Whitney. It should be out this summer. Maybe we'll talk about it. Maybe we won't. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, one one documentary I think we could do a future episode on. Um, with today being the 21st anniversary of Biggie's death. Oh, the Who Shot Biggie and Tupac documentary? Or is uh, that a show? That's a show. Okay. But there was also a documentary that came out a couple of weeks ago called The Death Row Chronicles. Ooh. It was on BET. I'm, I'm halfway through it. Um, But basically how Death Row, like, you know, came to be. Mm-hmm. And and then it's downfall, pretty much. That's interesting. Okay, like in a short amount of time, they were on top of the world. Yeah, they were very popular. And then Tupac gets murdered, and it just all fell apart from there. Well, yeah. Dr. Dre left first. Yeah, and then Tupac murdered, and it, it all just fell apart. It's easy to forget that he was on Death Row Records. It is so easy to forget Who? that Dr. Dre. Yeah, he's technically the co-founder. Yeah, right? it's, yeah, for me, it's very easy to forget. Like until you just say, "I was like, oh wait, he was Death Row is the label that pays me." <laughs> like it's it's very easy to forget that him and Snoop were there. Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, an, an artist that I that probably a lot of people, unless you've seen the VH1 movie <laughs> Too Legit to Quit, the MC Hammer story. MC Hammer was on Death Row. Oh yeah, I don't think he put out an album with them. But there's he was a guy going who to. told me that in. Ninth grade, 
somehow he knew in ninth grade he was like he had a cd of like death row's greatest hits and it had an mc hammer song on it <laughs> and he was like yeah he, same guy who introduced me to corn he was kind of a goth kid mm. but for some reason he had death row's greatest hits and he was like yeah mc hammer was on death row i didn't believe him at the time <laughs> i thought he was yanking my chain i was like stop it man it's not yeah, true and, in the in the tv movie they had where like he and tupac were like best friends I believe Tupac would beg to differ if he were still alive. I think they were they were friends though. Did he show up in the in the All Eyes on Me movie? Because if not, that's the definitive look. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I've yet to see that crap fest. I'm not gonna watch that. I'm not gonna. I saw that uh, there's this YouTube channel I found to where they take the um they take like music biopics mm-hmm. and compare them. Well, any biopic really, and compare them against the real footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had, um, they did one for all eyes on me and they had to wear, I think he was outside of the, one of the MTV, uh, in front of the VMAs or something yeah, like pre-show or something. And he was talking about how death row was about to take over and everything. I remember that. Yeah. And he walked away and then I think like, yeah, it was his entourage, like Suge Knight and a couple other people, mm-hmm. but in the back of the entourage was hammer. That was wow. in, the, in the real clip. In the real clip, it was Hammer. In the movie, Ooh. I don't think there was Hammer. I, I think they kind of like, just like they were straight out of Compton to where Misha Lay does not exist. <laughs> MC Hammer. <laughs> MC Hammer did not exist. <laughs> okay. I got to go back and watch that clip. I, I did not notice that, that he was in the clip. But they had a few of those. They And um, they had to wear, when he was in Juice. Mm-hmm. Like his most famous scene in Juice, and they had um, when he did the, um, I guess when he was arrested for for rape or sexual assault, mm-hmm. whatever the exact term was. But he's been interviewed by a bunch of people, and he was saying that basically, like, I don't know why they're coming at me. You know, if there are other people there, they're not being charged. Why y'all charging me then? You mm-hmm. know, as if he wasn't like. He felt like he was being targeted, basically. Oh, yeah. You know, so it was it was a few scenes like that, but uh, they did some scene comparisons. They do that with a lot of uh, the channel. They do it with a lot of um, films. They did it with uh, Man on the Moon, My Week with Marilyn, Man on the Moon, Andy, uh, Andy Kaufman, okay, Andy Kaufman, yeah, Ali, um, Raging Bull, okay. Hurricane. They did those like scene comparisons. It's pretty cool. Interesting. Okay, maybe I'll check that out. Um, let's get to the charts really quick before we get to our last story. So, um, we have the top 100 songs, of course, the hot 100. We'll do the top 10. Number one, still reign supreme. God's plan by Drake. All the God's plan memes are very funny, by the way. (laughs) They're very funny. Um, uh, number two, debuting at number two, Ooh. Psycho by Sirius Malone, <laughs> featuring Ty Dolla Sign. Real quick, we need a nickname for Drake. Um, hmm. If you follow us, follow our Instagram, we do have a post in which I saw that uh, yeah. with our nicknames. There are a couple of I have a couple more. I came up with a couple more. OK, um, when we get to those artists. <laughs> um, number three. Perfect by the most influential artist in black music. <laughs> Number four, Finesse by Bruno Mars and love and hip hop legend Cardi B. <laughs> Number five, 
Havana by the artist formerly known as Fifth Harmony featuring Young Thug. Number six, Look Alive by Block Boy JB featuring Drake. Number seven, Meant to Be by BB Rexa and the Nickelback of Country. Uh, number eight, Rockstar by Sirius Malone <laughs> featuring 21 Savage. Number nine, Pray For Me by The Weeknd and Kendrick Lamar. We need a, we, we need a nickname for both of them, too. Yeah, yeah. And number 10, All The Stars by Kendrick Lamar and SZA. So nine and ten, both from the Black Panther soundtrack. Let's go to the albums here. And I have an ad. Number Debuting at number one. Oh. This House Is Not For Sale by Bon Jovi. Is that them saying that we don't have to sell our houses because we didn't spend all our money? <laughs> um, I didn't know they were still doing stuff. Huh. My computer's kind of slowing down a little bit. Could yeah. you pull it up and see if Max Martin was involved? Oh, <laughs> let's see here. And while he pulls that up, number two. Uh, <laughs> it's falling apart. That's what comes <laughs> up every time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's number, really happening in America, people. <laughs> number two, uh, the Black Panther soundtrack. Number three, uh, Culture Two by, and I call them our friends from Gwinnett. <laughs> I, I dig it. <laughs> I dig it. Uh, That's the Migos. Um, number four, debuting at number four, Day 69 by 6ix9ine. Um, all you know is he's this kid with rainbow hair. Oh, okay. I had to see the name. I've seen him before. He looks weird. Number five. I don't know how it's still up here. Uh, the greatest showman soundtrack, especially since the song didn't win. The song didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> Number six divide by the most influential artist in black music. Numbers. Uh, that was number six. Number seven, Stony by Sirius Malone. Number eight, Evolve by the retired, unretired 2K Legends. Mm-hmm. Number nine, Damn by Kendrick Lamar. And number 10, debuting at number 10, Nation of Two by Vance Joy. Isn't he like folky? Yeah. Okay, I thought so. No, he was not involved in this album. It was John Shanks hmm. was um, involved. Uh, he, he used to do a lot of work with some people. I can't remember who exactly, but um, yeah, 12-track album. Interesting. All right, and the Artist 100, you know the rules. You release an <laughs> album, you're probably going to be number one. So number one is Bon Jovi. I wish they were on here more so we could like come up with some New Jersey name for them. Yeah. Something, I don't know, like something like uh, the pride of, where are they from? <laughs> Hold on. Are they, if they're from like the Jersey Shore, it's got to be the pride of the Jersey Shore. But I don't think they are. I was like Asbury Park. Sayreville? New Jersey. Where's John Bon Jovi from? Perth Amboy. God, they're so New Jersey. They're just <laughs> so New Jersey. Um, number two, the most influential artist in black music. Number three, Sirius Malone. Number four, Drake. Number five, the retired, unretired 2K Legends. Number six, Kendrick Lamar. Number seven, Bruno Mars. Number eight, our friends from Gwinnett. Number nine, Chris Stapleton. And number 10, loving hip-hop legend, Cardi B. Chris Stapleton seems to be hanging on. I wonder what he's doing. Like that not, Justin Timberlake song? Help? I guess so. Yeah, but Justin's at 12. <laughs> yeah. The Tennessee kid. 
Um, guess so, yeah. yeah. All right. So we'll get to our last story here. Bruno Mars. Um, people, I guess people are still kind of put off by uh, Bruno Mars winning uh, album of the year. He's getting hate from all sides and being accused of culture <laughs> appropriation. I know y'all were dancing to finesse and 24 karat magic. Okay. I was out there tripping on finesse, man. What you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was saying before the show, okay, he did locked out of heaven, which sounds like a police song. No one accused mm-hmm. him of appropriating British culture. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, he's, he's not trying to be anything that he's not. He's basically just, playing the music that he liked like he never claimed to like i was reading today someone was like he never claimed to invent any of this music he just likes it all right so in this uh, article from vibe uh vibe.com um there was a video that asked the question is bruno mars a cultural appropriator uh activist and cultural critic serene serene sensei points out that uh Bruno Mars is an appropriator who is not black and has not contributed to the musical industry in the way that music legends, Michael Jackson and Prince have. Okay. Uh, it says Bruno Mars. She says Bruno Mars is 100% a cultural appropriator. He is racially ambiguous. He is not black at all. And he plays up his racial ambiguity to cross genres. Argues the writer after Mars is compared to Michael Jackson earlier in the discussion. You know, if you just look up, you know, any kind of biography or profile about Bruno Mars, you'll find out his real name is Pete Hernandez. Yeah. He's from Hawaii. <laughs> and I think I believe he is. Uh, he is a Puerto Rican descent. Uh, or at least partially Puerto they Rican. Didn't, I mean, I'm just it's, it's kind I of I mean, just doing some basic research. Yeah. Yeah, Peter Jean Hernandez from Hawaii. He's 32. Okay, okay. He's doing well for himself. Um, let's see here. Yeah, born and raised in Honolulu. Um, anything about his parents? Yeah, his father's half Puerto Rican and half, I'm not even going to try to say this, Jewish descent from Hungary, from Ukraine and Hungary. Um, and then his mother immigrated from the Philippines. So he's, he's, he's some of everything. Philippines so he's, to Hawaii, he's mixed child, with a lot of things. Filipino and some Spanish ancestry. Part Puerto Rican, part Filipino. Got a quarter Jewish. Quarter Jewish. He's got family from Hungary, it appears. Yeah. <laughs> so. Ukraine. Ukraine and Hungary. Yeah, no, this is I mean who I, I mean know. like just, you could they're used to trying to using that he's not black as he shouldn't be doing this kind of music. Um, I always look at it as if, and this is like with the episode that we did, are you showing the music, the respect it deserves? Yeah. If you're showing the music, the respect it deserves, then do it. What is to play up your racial ambiguity? That's what I don't understand. Cause I feel like to, mean? like to, to play it up means to not talk about it, but no one asks, no like, one's asking him those questions. It's not like he's in interviews. Like, so are you black? Uh, uh, next question, please. <laughs> <laughs> What are you? Uh, uh, next question, please. I'm human. Like he's not. I just imagine him like being like like Billy Joel in that one interview with the sunglasses. I'm like everybody just keeps asking me what my race is, man. And I just had to cut some people off. You know, I had to cut off some black people and some white people because I'm ambiguous. <laughs> like it's not. Who cares? 
He gave himself a nickname, Bruno Mars. Sounds like he's from space. So let, the man do his, let the man do his new Jack Swing. Uh, she also says Bruno Mars is not an original artist in the same way that Michael Jackson was an original artist in the same way that Prince was an original artist. Bruno, what Bruno Mars does is he takes pre-existing work and just completely word for word recreates it and extrapolates it. And does a really good job at it. That's not, the I article. think that's what <laughs> <laughs> a lot of artists do. He ain't the only one. No, Makes it seem like he's the only one to do it. No, he's not. I mean, y'all not saying this about, um, you could say this about, I think Sam Smith is doing kind of the same thing that yeah. Adele is doing. Yeah. You can say Adele is taking R&B music and, you know, taking from other, um, like I said, in, in, in the UK, they care a little bit more as yeah. far as R&B goes. Yeah. So, you know, they'll take what, uh, what Marvin Gaye or Donny Hathaway Sam has done Cook, yeah. and Sam Cooke and, and, ex- and go and completely word for word recreate it and extrapolate yeah. it. Yeah. Well, because they love the music and they have this respect for it. And honestly, I believe if Sam Smith could do a Sam Cooke style album, he'd be like, hell yeah, but nobody would buy it. So he has to kind of, he has to ham it up a little bit, but they have a res- they have respect for the music. You can tell they like it and they perform it well. So this is I, I don't even I can't even believe this is this is like an issue. I, I don't know if it really is. I mean maybe it's just it's an overblown Twitter issue. Um and I'm curious to know who this reporter is that says Bruno Mars one hundred percent is a cultural appropriator. I'd be curious to meet her to get her thoughts on, you know, what she feels like do you feel Eminem is a cultural appropriator? Because I don't believe Eminem disrespects the, the genre, but, uh, but I bet she thinks that though. She also says he does not change it. He does not approve upon it. He does not make it better. He's a karaoke singer. He's a wedding singer. He's God. the person you hire to do Michael Jackson and Prince covers. Yet Bruno Mars has an album of the year Grammy and Prince never won an album of the year Grammy, but he was nominated like three or four times. I know he lost to Michael Jackson once. Mm. He lost a U2 once, like heavy hitters. <laughs> he, he lost to some, some big names, but that still doesn't take away from uh, what Bruno Mars is doing. What Bruno Mars is doing. And plus what I don't like about this and, you know, we talk about the Grammys a lot and just to kind of like get into I look at it as trying to get in the head of the Academy. Like, mm-hmm. what do y'all really think good music is? But as a music listener, as a fan, yeah, the Grammys are not the place to get validation. Exactly. And if that's where you're going for validation, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I've, I've got some sand in Florida to sell you, <laughs> I guess. I mean, I, I hear better music. Cause I mean, like I feel like the Grammys are trying to have this mix of success and artistry but it heavily leans more on the success side of it because there's a lot of music out there while still successful, not as successful has better artistry. Doesn't mean that, you know, Bruno Mars is bad. It just means there's someone out there with, you know, that's a little, you know, that's a little bit better at what they do, but it doesn't mean that, you know, 24 karat magic is bad. It doesn't mean that unorthodox jukebox was bad. It doesn't mean that doops and hooligans was bad. It just means it is what it is. Don't be mad because he found a way to make, you know, to have success in doing this. Don't be mad. Don't hate. What's, um, 
what's also interesting is that I, I read from, um, I can't remember his name, but I know he's with top dog entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, they has Kendrick Lamar and Schoolboy Q and SZA. Um, he tweeted out that he was at the Grammys this year and he felt in his mind that, um, with the Grammys, it doesn't, they like pick and choose who they want to win. Mm-hmm. It's not about really voting who they think is the best. Like it's kind of like predetermined. He feels like mm-hmm. with the voting and he already, he felt that before going to the Grammys and mm-hmm. after the Grammys, he, it was as if all that was confirmed. I wouldn't be surprised though. I mean, would you, <laughs> but I guess the point is though, you know, he works for that label. Yeah. He's part of that label. He's working with Kendrick Lamar, who was nominated for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And Kendrick Lamar still had a successful Grammy run. Like he swept the, he swept all the rap awards. Mm-hmm. Right. And even though he didn't win album of the year, that doesn't invalidate all the work. No, it does not. But even if, reason, he, even if he was nominated for those Grammys and didn't win any, it still does not invalidate all his work. I agree. So, uh, and I kind of compare that to when, um, well, I guess like kind of looking for award ceremonies to validate you, um, or to use it as, um, an invitation or use it as an opportunity to invalidate someone who has won something. Yeah. Uh, look at that with the, with the Oscars, um, Kobe Bryant. Yeah. One for best animated short. Um, and for me, I initially thought, wow, he did something outside of basketball because <laughs> he has been all about basketball forever, for his whole life, years, yeah. <laughs> you know? And even though the, the short was about basketball, it was in a different capacity that he was successful, even mm-hmm. just being nominated. I'm like, okay, that's great. Uh, if not for, like fans of him, at least for his state of mind, yeah. being a retired basketball player. Um, and I just I looked at it that way at yeah. first, mm-hmm. like wow, he you know if he's going to make more animated shorts or if it's going to because he he's doing other things in yeah. basketball. He's not just retiring and becoming an analyst. Not that that's bad, but he clearly has other interests. Mm-hmm. But people used him winning. And because of the the times up in the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. they use that as an opportunity to bring up uh, the assault charges on him from yeah. Colorado in Colorado. From how many years ago? That was fifteen years ago. <laughs> that ultimately were dropped. So the, people use that as the opportunity to bring that up, and maybe he shouldn't have won, or maybe we shouldn't be celebrating him. Like, and I think the big difference here, even though, and I won't go too far into it other than yeah. um, there's a lot of due process in a lot of these cases that isn't really being like, it's more so, you know, in the United States that, you know, supposed to be, you know, innocent until proven guilty. And a lot of people are, you know, losing things without any due process. I won't go into that, however, but here's a person where due process was done and the charges were dropped. So at this point, why are we even bringing it up? Like, why is it even kind of like he was assault? No, actually, no, he wasn't. The charges were dropped. So no, he's, he's not. That's like being like, you know, you got accused of murder. The charges got dropped. They're like, Greg's a murderer. Actually, no, he's not. The charges got dropped. So well, he would still do that with OJ though. Yeah. People still do with OJ. But that's the thing though. Like it's, that's kind of the world, the, the world we are. And it's been like that maybe for the last 20 years, you know, 
the uh, the story makes the front page the retraction page nine like no one sees the retraction or the apology so like you know if you get accused that's why i tell people you got to be careful of what you accuse people of because um once it gets sensationalized you know like i said the announcement front page the retraction we sorry we got it wrong page nine of like some section that nobody cares about (laughs) because who wants to admit that they're wrong you know this uh, person also said Bruno Mars got that Grammy because white people love him. He's not black, period. Wow. Okay. So they're just going in on Bruno Mars. He did something to them. Oh, I know what he did. He was successful. <laughs> Stop. That's what Diddy said in that song. I do nothing well, it's, it's, it's like a lot of money. Successful, uh, a non-black person being successful doing black music. But that wasn't applied to the other, like what music is he supposed to be doing? Well, duh, salsa, right? That's yeah. Yeah. That's all he's Puerto Rican. So he should be doing salsa. Then they'd be or, okay. With or it. he's a quarter Jewish. He should just be performing it. by Hava, Nagi, Hava, Nagi. And then she'd be like, all right, that feels right. That's what she say. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to be doing. Yes. No one, not black can do anything black. Thus saith the Lord. And for me, like I'm on the uh, all music is black music mm-hmm. uh, bandwagon, so he probably shouldn't be able to do music at all. <laughs> he can do uh, what? Pol- well, German polka. That's traced. I bet that's traced to somehow, Africa somehow. <laughs> well, I know for a fact because of German immigrants, um, Mexican music is traced back to polka. Like it has kind of like polka sounds because of German immigrants. And so, and that is traced to Africa, Africa, (laughs) the drums. I know it for here, but still, you know, like just because, um, yeah, because he's not black, he can't do black music. Okay. Go tell that to Eminem. Yeah. Um, but they probably respect Eminem as an artist or somehow he did eight mile. (laughs) I, I went to six mile. I wasn't brave enough to go to eight mile. I was not brave enough. It was two miles away, Ben. It might not have been. Our, all I know is our Uber driver dropped us off and he was like, yeah, this is normally a part of town I don't go to. <laughs> <laughs> some good pizza, though. It was some good pizza. <laughs> so uh, you guys can check out um, check out the article on Vibe.com. We'll put it in our um, we post it on our website. Bruno Mars also tweeted, this was from a couple of years ago. He says, how can anybody in America hate the people that our country was built on? Black people and black culture should be celebrated, not executed. Sure, the context was different, but um, yeah, there was a lot of Twitter conversation about it. I didn't really get into it, but. This is the first I've heard of it, but but it there there are people ridiculous. who there are a lot. Of, I saw a lot of tweets like uh, I'm going to listen to 24 Karat Magic anyway <laughs> because it's a good song, it's a mm. good album, you know. So, um, I think to say that he is appropriating black culture, um, I think that's a little that's a little strong because, well, if you're going to say he's appropriating black culture, then anyone who's not black doing historically black music, you have to call them out to. You have to call out Adele. You have to call out Sam Smith. You have to call out Eminem and Logic. 
Stevie Ray Vaughan. You have to call out, call out Stevie Ray Vaughan. I, mean, I know he's dead, but. <laughs> so I call him out. Uh, you can really, you can call out, because um, I was thinking like, like I said, I feel like all all music is can be traced to black music somehow. Uh, grunge, grunge <laughs> music traces back to Jimi Hendrix. So basically, it's white people doing Hendrix. Oh. Uh, Hashtag okay. something. I was like, what? Okay, and so I was like, well, what about heavy metal? Heavy metal is playing blues music as fast as you possibly can, and really angrily, <laughs> and angrily. So that's just that's just uh, that's part like that's like funk music <laughs> and blues music played really really fast. Hashtag Rage Against Machine. And if white people are doing it, then you can you know it's it's metal then. Mm-hmm. Because they're angry and and his. Well, what about what about what about synth pop in the eighties? That is taking the Motown sound and using synthesizers. Get her on the phone. What's her name? Get her on the phone now. <laughs> She's got more articles to write. So you go call it out. Call out everyone. So we're saying all this to say we we don't care. We're gonna. I'm gonna listen to it later. I'll be dripping in finesse. You wanna listen to it later? Yeah. Okay. We can try to learn the dance. Or I'll, I'll be listening to Chunky. Okay, the, that's the, cool too. For the girls with the big old hoops. That's cool. The, the hoop earrings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just appropriating them earrings. Or I'll be calling on my lovelies. But anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, that will uh, that'll do it for our music news. Um, and also, shout out to uh, Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. I believe that's their names. They wrote Remember Me for the movie Coco. Oh, yeah. That, that's the one that won, right? That, that's okay. the one that won Best Original Song at the Oscars. So, uh, uh, the, well, the guys who wrote City of Stars, they did not go back to back. Not with the Oscars. Mm-mm. They did with the Golden Globes. Um, so, yeah. Congratulations to them. They're the ones who wrote Let It Go for Frozen. Ah, Okay. Yes. And I think Robert Lopez is the youngest EGOT. Oh, he's an EGOT? Yeah. Okay. Oh, God. Oh, man. I wish I could remember what it was because I was listening to Bill Simmons and they said that um, Kobe could be the first LMFAO, the Lawrence O'Brien Trophy, the um, Maurice all- Podoloff Trophy. Yes. They named all of them. With finals MVP, yeah. all star MVP. Yeah. And Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, y'all. Y'all are trying it. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they tried it. Uh, I did. I was in this group that said that uh, that Kobe's the goat. Jordan ain't got no Oscars. Yeah, I heard that too. <laughs> I heard that too. And some people try to come back. Well, Jordan did this, so he's the goat. I'm like, well, Jordan never had to play with a guy named Smush. <laughs> Kobe's the. Go- I was just trolling, but <laughs> all I'm saying is. No one said, and the Oscar for Space Jam goes to <laughs> Michael Jordan. I believe I can fly. So I think, like, I, I, this worst is like people are they're too serious mm-hmm. and have, they don't have any fun. Like, I try to have fun with sports arguments because uh, why I said, like, yeah, Kobe, like Jordan didn't have to play with the dude named Smush, so Kobe's the goat. And then the guy came back with, well, he played with B.J. Armstrong. I'm like. B.J. Armstrong made an all-star team. Yeah. So what's your point? 
Smush See, Parker was who? And, and then, then I had to say, what you should have said was, <laughs> Kobe didn't have to play with a guy named Judd who looked like Teen Wolf. Oh, God. But you didn't say that. <laughs> you said BJ Armstrong. You came back with BJ Armstrong. A name that people actually know, because, not because he was called out by his teammate, but... All-star starter, yeah. BJ Armstrong. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, um, congratulations to all the Oscar winners. Uh, Shape of Water, looking like Splash, Hashtag aka Grinding, Grinding Nemo. Nemo. <laughs> like, have you seen? So, have you? Did you see any of the movies that won awards? Because I've seen, I didn't see anything no. that Get Out this year that was nominated. No. I haven't Not seen The one. Post. I haven't seen what did Gary Oldman win for? I haven't seen uh, that. What is the name of that movie? I know he played Winston Churchill. Who won Best Actress? Uh, Francis McDormand for Three Billboards Outside Ebony, Missouri. I think that's what's going on. Yeah. I didn't see that one. I heard about that. Sam Rockwell won for that same movie. Yeah, he's he's an interesting actor. (laughs) Allison Janney won for I, Tanya about Tanya Harding. I want to see that movie. It's really funny. They did a really good um, um, episode about her on the Daily Podcast, New York Times Daily. Mm. She sounds like a redneck from Oregon. Have you seen uh, The Price of Gold, the 30 for 30, Mm-mm. about the, about Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan? I didn't know there was one. It came out a few years ago. Oh, I need to check yeah. that out then. So, yeah. Um, they talked to Tanya Harding, and they like she was just kind of straightforward with it. They yeah. couldn't get – I don't think they got to interview Nancy Kerrigan or, like, very little yeah. of Nancy Kerrigan in there. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that'll do for for the music news. Ben, why don't you tell us about your earworm of the week? So it was going to be all the stars because I recently saw Black Panther, which is an excellent movie if you haven't seen it. Um, but that is on our list, so I'm not going to I'm not going to repeat. I have been listening to a ton of Jimmy Eat World. Um, I was obsessed with Bleed American, which was shortly renamed to Salt Salt Sweat Sugar right after nine 11. Um, but I feel this is a really good song and it's actually, I feel like it's kind of still relevant today. Like it's yeah. what, 18 years old almost. And it's still, it still kind of rings true. You don't get many songs like that, especially in the emo category, which is what they kind of are. So, uh, I, I, I this was a CD that I bought <laughs> when I was in high school. Um, and I remember this song being used in the film Van Wilder. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, come on. They couldn't use like the sweetness or the middle. <laughs> I think they used the middle in another scene. Actually, okay. The middle totally makes sense. Bleed American is actually like a song with meaning. Yeah. Well, we're going to play it anyway. So this yep. is Bleed <laughs> American by Jimmy World. And we'll be right back. Clear your thoughts with spit side. 
Complete American by Jimmy Eat World. And while we are still alive, I lost the camera feed. So <laughs> what we're going to do here, we're going to stop the live feed. We're going to start another one and uh, we'll be right back. A few moments later. All right, Joe. So we had to start another video. Yeah. So we're back though. Um, you heard the previous earworm, uh, Jimmy Eat World's Bleed American from the album Bleed American. And uh, you can find that on our BTTYHT earworms playlist right now. All right. So we started our show with the um, with the song Saturday in the Park. Yeah. By Chicago. First Chicago song I ever heard. <laughs> um, a common staple among high school uh, jazz bands, I feel like, and marching bands. Wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so, uh, our topic was the Chicago documentary, Now More Than Ever, The History of Chicago, which you can find on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, and they chronicle the 50-year history of the band. Uh, and not only was it a 50-year yeah. history, it was a packed. Like, it wasn't like, yeah. a, oh, we kind of did some stuff. Like, they stayed busy. There was a lot that happened. Yeah. And there were, like, there was, like, certain, it was, like, different waves of. Yeah. It was definitely different eras of uh, of Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, it started out, okay, they're a, they're a cover band. They got you know, fired. Known as <laughs> Chicago Transit uh, Chicago Transit Authority, getting fired because they played original music, <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, so all you cover bands out there, yeah, beware. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then into the seventies uh, to where um, they get signed by Columbia because they had the first right of refusal because yeah. of their deal with uh, what was their manager's name? I know his last name is Garrico. I think it was Jimmy. I wrote Jimmy. it down. Yeah. Jimmy Garrico. Jimmy Garrico, who seemed a little sketchy at first. Yeah. And then he turned out that, to be. It, it, he seemed like one of those, like those, one of those happens, those scout happenstance scouts mm-hmm. <laughs> that, you know, just finds a band like, Hey, I went inside you guys. Who are you? Yeah, I think I wrote here, um, Jimmy Garrico, not going to be able to ignore this guy. Because the first time he came around, I was like, all right, he's a nobody. Then he kept coming back around, and he built the ranch. and Yeah, yeah. well, then we find out how, how he had you- the money <laughs> to build that ranch. Read your contracts, people. Read your contracts. The drummer, ta- the drummer taught them, read your contracts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then basically how he had to be that guy. Turned into that's why you got fired for the band. All you care about is the money side. Like I saved us. I'm trying to make sure we get our money. I saved us. Like come on. But he was robbing them blind. (laughs) Yeah. How long did it take to figure that out? Like a a long time. How do you you get the money to build this? Yeah, hundred percent of the publishing. All the publishing. Hundred percent. That's how you make your money. That's how you make your money. If I were, especially if I were Robert Lamb, who wrote a lot of their early stuff. Well, like, well, he's written a majority of their stuff, like through their entire history. But Mm -hmm. man. So I did think after they parted ways with him, they sounded different. Mm -hmm. I think with him, that was their first wave. And like, like a lot. So like, you know, does anybody know what time it really is? And 
Saturday in the Park. Like when you hear those songs, and my goodness, were these some really good songs throughout this entire film? Like that's the Chicago sound I think everyone knows. And then after that, it became a little more polished. Like after they after they start work with him, like they were like more experienced musicians. They were, you know, they, their sound kind of melded. And I mean, like it wasn't that it got worse, but it's not that sound. Like it's not that. Yeah. What you think of like I've never been to Chicago, but like I just imagine like if I went there, like that's what you like. They said they took all of the sounds of Chicago and mixed them together, and it was so awesome. And Jimmy Garrico, kind of like David Foster said, he just like found a way to like channel like to like contain that energy of their live set because i mean i've never seen them live but i imagine it was a hell of a live show but he also he robbed them blind to take all their money yeah <laughs> so um so the way that they got to they they got together um they kind of glossed over it but there's so many people in the band yeah that was one thing i kind of i was like i'm not gonna be able to keep track of all these people <laughs> <laughs> like it was hard for me like i don't know anybody's like i know robert lamb and um, there was one guy who I think I think he was one of the trumpet players. Yeah, um, that they focused on a lot, and um, and uh, the lead singer Terry Kath. Yeah, I knew Terry Kath. Yeah. yeah. So um, did not know yeah. um, Peter Cetera played bass. Did I didn't. Not I know didn't know that. that either. I thought I thought he was a keyboard player or something. Yeah, he eventually became <laughs> the lead singer. The lead singer. <laughs> um, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to yeah. that. Um, so, well, I, I didn't take any notes, but I know oh. you took some notes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember a lot of this stuff, so mm-hmm. we can go off your notes to kind of find yeah. out what we can start with here. Well, I mean, just kind of starting from the beginning, they talk about their meeting Jimi Hendrix on the plane. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was worried like, oh, there's going to be a lot of. I was worried about there's going to be too much name dropping because yeah. they talked about Janis Joplin. Yeah, pick and one up of the my brush. Like, it's like, you pick up your brush, brush and you apologize for talking to me that way. And after that, they it was like the bully tries to bully some person and like they're like, you stood <laughs> up to me. All right, I like you. <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be like, and then this dude from Janis Joplin's entourage punched me in the face. <laughs> I thought we got dropped from the tour. I thought it was one of those stories. Dropped in the hallway, dropped from the tour. <laughs> um, so I'd always known that Terry Kath, um, that Jimi Hendrix was a fan of Terry Kath. I, I remember hearing about that many, many years ago. And of course, that's something in this documentary they confirmed that, you know. And Terry Kath was a really, really, really good guitar player. Um, I always thought he was on drugs. Hmm. Like just hearing his playing, like he was so... Because if you think about, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, a lot of people didn't play the way he played with that sort of speed. I was like, the only way he could be doing this is he on drugs. He had to be on drugs. Okay. And then we find out, of course, a lot of them were on drugs. They're all on drugs. Everybody. Yeah. It was everyone. The whole band on drugs. <laughs> um, so, uh, but yeah, the story about, I would love to have your problems. He's like, you know, once you become big, you know, it's like all they want are hits from you. They want hit after hit after hit. And the band's like, oh, man, I would love to have your problems. And I was like, you know, everyone thinks they want it, but do they really want it? You know, do you really want that? Because, like, before you get signed, it's a hobby. Yeah. Like, you don't have to depend on it for your livelihood. You can still, you know, you can be in a band, but still work at, you know, the grocery store or whatever. And that's, like, actually your livelihood. But once they sign you, as we've talked about many times, we don't hear a single. Like how many times, especially in modern day times, have you heard record companies go back to artists? We don't hear a single. It's like, you know, like metrics at your job. 
like you're not meeting expectations. We don't hear a single. <laughs> you have to go back to the studio and make a single. And for them, it's like, you know, before all of this, it's just we're doing it for fun. All right, now you're signed to Columbia. You know, you had was um, Clive Davis hears about them from David Geffen. I'm like, holy crap, that's music business royalty right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, those are heavy hitters. And so, like, yeah, it's now it's a business. You got to produce. So, um, And then when they were able to finally put out a, what was their first big single? Um, What was their first big single? I wrote it down. Um, Make Me Smile. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So they're able to, uh, to put out the, the big single and they're out on tour and, and basically what, what's weird is to how they've lasted for so long. Yeah. Like they still play a hundred shows a year. Yeah. Because that was their staple, man. Like their live shows, you got a band that big. And I mean, like at least when I was in high school, I remember my band teacher, there were two, there were two bands he talked about a lot as far as having a talented horn section. The first earth, wind and fire <laughs> talented horn section. The second was always Chicago. Like every horn player I've ever met. And I like to ask my future brother-in-law who um, is, a, I guess for all intents and purposes, a pretty much a professional horn player, mm. French horn player. Like mm. what he would think of their horn section, because it sounded like, so when you hear make me smile, it was what in like four movements, like he wrote it like a classical piece, like a concerto yeah. almost. He has four different, you know, and Make Me Smile was the one that they kind of took a piece from one of the movements and put it at the beginning. Yeah, to make a radio edit. Yeah, to basically. make a radio edit. Yeah. And so, and, you know, you have to wonder, like, how did he feel about that? You know, like, and this was the trumpet player, wasn't he, that wrote yeah. this? He was, he's writing these songs. Like he heard the beginning songs, <laughs> like, oh, they my songs on the radio. radio. And then it goes to another part. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, they always... And like in the circles I was in, always got a lot of credit for being a good horn section. Chicago. All right. Um, and then uh, it, everything kind of just took off from there. Yeah. Um, and uh, they talked about with, um, I guess, just them, them being young mm-hmm. and and making a little bit of money. The stuff that they did and because of the time period. Yeah. Uh lots of drugs. What are they the gonna guns. do with the money? What are they? <laughs> yeah, the so the um I called it the druggy ranch. <laughs> I think that's what they called it the druggy ranch. It was like they you know, they, they get this producer who, of course, as we said, robbed them blind, made all this money off of them. Um they got some cool videos out of it now. Like the videos of them performing on the ranch were really cool. I like to find those. Um but it was just like they just they weren't thinking, man. It was like a it was a free for all. Young rock stars making a lot of money were invincible. You know what they were flying in Playboy bunnies. Yeah, it's like they just were making all this money, and the good times ain't never gonna stop until we find out that our producer is stealing from us. Well, not stealing because you signed the contract, so he's not stealing. He did everything legally, but he, yeah, it's crazy, man. Um, and they were considering themselves. Or at least the horn section guys were saying, "Oh, this uh, this is a horn band. We're yeah. fo- that's that's the focus. That is the the star of the group. Mm-hmm. I guess is the horn section." And then, um, uh, who was it that like he was in an argument with his girlfriend and then he broke the door down? Oh God, he wrote that and song. Then he ended up writing. Uh, 
Which became one of the other. Yeah, You and Me. I cannot remember the name of the guy who wrote that, though. Was that Robert Lamb? I think so. I believe Cause so. Because he, he, he went to the piano and started playing. And he's yeah, their piano player. He said right? he played the whole thing through. Yeah. And that became You and Me. And I was like, wow, that's, that's interesting. Because, I mean, stories about songs, of course, always interesting. Um, let me see. Because that became their second hit. Or, no, because that was after... Um, I think their second it was Does Anyone Know What Time It Really Is and then yeah. 25 or 6 or 4 yeah. and then I think this one excuse me um, You and Me on Chicago V1 because I cannot Six. read James um, James <laughs> Panko okay yeah um, no yeah, I don't James. think he was there he was there yeah, he was the was trombone Robert player Lane. trombone okay yeah he he played he he wrote it on the piano the song, yes. um, and Peter Cetera sung it. Yeah. Oh, uh, I guess what they were worried about becoming. Uh, uh, what was weird? Like they consider themselves a musical democracy. Yeah. Right. So, it was as if okay, if anybody wants wants to write a song, we'll do the song even if we don't like it. We'll do it to the best of our ability. That is, well, you've been in a band. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that kind of approach? So the bands I've been in were, and I guess, so one note I made, Peter Cetera was shy about his songs. And I wrote, ha, 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 because of what we saw in the 80s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so to think that he was shy. So I've been in bands where um, usually one or two personalities dominate the creative process like everyone kind of comes with it and, and brings their um their input to it but like usually you have like one personality that dominates it writes the majority of the songs it's typically the singer um i wish i could have been in a band where the guitar player wrote the songs kind of like in the who to see what that was like but um or a fallout boy i guess you could say where the bass player wrote the songs <laughs> but um most of the bands i've been in typically the lead singer i've been in that position before where I, you know and it's usually because you're the only one who can or and the reason i brought up peter satara you're the only one brave enough to bring up your ideas um because i was in a band with one person who you know i later did find out had some good song ideas but wasn't really bringing them to the table and maybe it was because he was like well i don't think my songs are as good as ben's so i'm not going to bring them to the table and maybe this is the case peter satara's like well i don't think my songs are as good as theirs so i'm just going to keep them you know to the side until he gains that confidence. He's like, my songs are just as good as yours. And maybe, you know, Hey, maybe that was good that he was shy about his songs. Cause we saw what happened when he wasn't shy about his songs. Um, and then kind of going to where, where Pia Cetera wrote, if you leave me now mm-hmm. and the, not everyone in the band liked the song. Yeah. <laughs> Terry Kath hated it. <laughs> uh, they didn't want to be, one of those uh, ballad bands. Yeah. So apparently that's not the way to go, but uh, that's where the money was. Makes the money. That's where the money was. So they um, they made the song. I think it was their first number one song. I do believe so. Yes. Um, and they kind of they kind of just kept going. They just took off, really took off from there. Mm-hmm. I think I think they were respected by a lot of musicians. They did have their fans. Um, but with that song that got them on, cause it was a time where AM radio was, yeah, it was more, more popular. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Like that was a time where AM radio was more popular 
And believe it or not, the NIT was more popular than the NCAA yeah. tournament. I remember the, well, I mean, not like I was there, but I remember reading about those times. Yeah. So, um, that got them on AM radio. <laughs> like that, uh, Everclear song. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember them. So they also said in their FM radio had no commercials. Yeah. So they just play entire albums. So I imagine a band like Chicago thrived on the yeah. FM radio where you could just play their albums, which a lot of their older albums were meant to be heard in their entirety. Cause I mean, hell they had movements and things like that. So yeah, you could just straight listen to a Chicago album cover to cover and they, you know, but you know, that's not where the mute, that's not where the money is. Like you said, like the money is to get on the AM radio and get these songs get those ballads out there. Yeah. Three and a half minutes, I think they said, like, if you're over three and a half, you won't get played. <laughs> That's still true, really, to this day. Three and a half Pretty to much. four minutes, you, you gotta cut it down, or you don't get played on the FM radio now. So. Uh, what other notes do you have? Uh, so, right about where we are now, had the um, drummer wants to look at the contracts, of course. Mm-hmm. Manager's taking 100%. Um, our time was up, I said, but it seems that he had the classic Chicago sound. Everything they did after that sounded different. They looked different. They didn't dress the same, I don't think. Um, next was the Snortatorium at live shows. That's what, when they went dude. off. Oh, that's when they were going off the edge. I was like, um, wow. Like, yeah. you have, like, you hear about some stuff like, um, I know it's not the same thing, but like with Belle Biv DeVoe, when mm-hmm. they did their live shows, they did their costume changes on stage. Yeah. There's one in that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, or you'll see how, uh, and, and some, I know some other, some other acts have done that. They did the live their costume changes on stage just to keep everybody, keep everybody involved. Like keep that momentum. Yeah. Quote unquote going. Um, but to use it to <laughs> kind <laughs> of, <laughs> <laughs> take a powder break yeah that's a, that's a nice way to yeah go to the powder room um wow that is a that's um that's when you you're you're going too far mm-hmm. uh but hey a cocaine habit is is something that gets very expensive and it's hard to break mm-hmm. um ask scott storch yeah <laughs> um and I mean, that's, that's definitely a, uh, it's a cry for help. <laughs> I mean, if you got, Snorting you got, Coke on stage, you got to do it while you're at work. And what, and what if you had to go back there more than once? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, damn, why is he, why is Terry going back there like four times, man? Like, what's... It's like, it's wearing off, man. Like you just went 15 minutes ago. He's on stage. Like, Hey man, get that. Get that off your nose, man. Like you're bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was kind of funny. Um, and so because of that, though, I, because, you know, of my limited knowledge of the band Chicago, I thought that's how Terry Kath died. I thought he died of a drug overdose. I, I'm a, I wasn't familiar with like the members of the band, really only Peter Cetera. Yeah. But like they keep talking about Terry. I was like, okay, he's not. I don't see. Here. I don't see them talking to Terry. Yeah, and they already said Peter Cetera would not participate. Yeah, so I was like, okay, well he he died, and I was thinking drug overdose. Yeah, the whole I assume drug overdose. 
And uh, it was not. Uh, that's actually the second time I've heard of that kind of death. Oh, really? Yeah, there was this actor uh, in the 80s. He was on, um, it was like a show about like, I think it was about like fire, fighter jets or something. Mm-hmm. It may have been like right around when Top Gun was popular, mm-hmm. but not not a Top Gun show, but it was like that. But um, he was playing around with the prop gun mm-hmm. and he thought it was empty. Yeah. And he was playing around and pulled the trigger and shot himself in the head. Jeez. Um, and the the band, the band blamed themselves, but for me, I wouldn't be so hard on myself in that situation. Yeah, they take they're still taking but, it hard. Yeah, I mean, like, look, he was he was one of their best friends, mm-hmm. and he was the driving force. They use that term a lot, the driving force of their band. So I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, but could you have prevented that? Probably not. Probably not. I, I not from the I way he was talking. Could. You know, no. When it happened, um, I wrote. I was, it wasn't. It wasn't as if it was something he meant to do. No, it was not. No. Yeah, I said I always knew he was good, but I didn't know how much he meant to that band. To where they said it was literally not the same when he left. Yeah, and it took them I two guitar it, players to find a replacement. It it um just by just from watching the films like okay everything's going to change from here mm-hmm. if you say he's the driving force he was the lead singer he was a, a unique guitar player at the time mm-hmm. it, it's um things are changing from here yeah and even when brandon suggested it to us to where it was <laughs> a lot of pettiness <laughs> um yeah you know, all the, all the pettiness and the, um, you know, everyone's attitudes changing. I felt like that's when it started mm-hmm. is when he passed. And of course that brought them into the eighties and yeah, they did a disco song and people, oh, yeah, the street player, like, okay, I, I, I was listening to the songs like, okay, it sounds disco, but it's still pretty good though. And they weren't the only ones who had a pseudo disco song. It was the hot thing to do. Everyone did it. Kiss did it. Kiss had one. Blondie had one. Everyone had a disco song. It's okay. It is okay. It's like, who cares? It's Chicago. It's a good song. Sheik didn't even think they were really doing disco. (laughs) I still don't think they're disco, but yeah. So um, I didn't mind. It wasn't like, I mean, okay. Yeah, it's disco, but it wasn't like. It didn't sound like so different from any other Chicago yeah. song, only be- because of it was still it was still their sound. It was distinctly theirs, mm-hmm. but it, it was disco. Was <laughs> yeah, I felt they looked very eighties. So of course, the first clip you see of yeah. them in the eighties, I think it's the Merv Griffin show. Yeah, they looked really, really eighties. Um, that was around the time you know Columbia pays them to leave. That's the first time I ever heard of that. Columbia paid them. Like to hit the road, released the greatest the hits. Yeah, <laughs> that's some of the contract right there. Released the greatest hits to fill their obligations and just let them walk. So, eighties were not. I was like the eighties at that point had not been good to Chicago. I think that was like nineteen eighty, like yeah. eighty one. It was right in the, at the start of the eighties. It was not kind to of them. And um, the uh, I forget the gentleman's name, but he had a. 
he had, he had left Columbia at around the same time and started his own label as part as under one. Oh, Brothers. I forgot to write his name. Down. I know you're talking about though, but yeah, he's the guy who and went he ended them. up signing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, another happenstance kind of thing. Yeah. But it's like, Hey, he, he believes in them. He knows they're good. So maybe they'll put out something. Yeah. But then what do they have to do? They had to bring in the, the David Foster. <laughs> As David Foster sighting sitting in front of the Grammys yes, again. This the second time in front of these Grammys, son. He pointed him out this time. Yeah, he He's did. Like, you know, my sixteen Grammys. You can't have sixteen Grammys and not be great. And he turned around and and I was like, is he the white Kanye West of the eighties? Like, is he just like he just he just. So now we know he did it on purpose. Like yeah. now we know that piano is for the Grammys. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> he That's bought it specifically for. off the showroom floor. <laughs> <laughs> they're like that. This piano sounds awful. Oh, I won't be playing this piano. <laughs> he played a little bit, but he he was just thinking, how many Grammys got I put on top of this thing? <laughs> this is my. Oh, I need a new Grammy shelf. Let's go to the. Let's go get a piano. Let's go get a grand piano. So yeah, um, and it was interesting. Like his first interaction with Peter Cetera. Yeah. These songs suck. Like they made 13 songs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, the, yeah, these songs suck. <laughs> what do you mean? They suck. I am David Foster. I know a good song when I hear all I know. But then, he is, but then there was, he said, there's one movement, one moment where he said, uh, Peter, you played an E there. That should have been an F. F. And he got, and he, had, he had to pull him to the side. Uh, yeah. Don't call me out in front of the band. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you know what? I don't you know play, like playing bass anymore. You play the bass. You play there the you go. bass. <laughs> like, that's like, all right, cool, you know? And this was like pre-Hard to Say I'm Sorry, Peter Cetera. Yeah. Like, this before his head got big. It was like already blowing up, you know? Maybe it was always there. He was like, you know, I am the voice. People come to hear me. La, 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 la. And David Foster was like, and then before Bill Champlin said it. <laughs> David Foster was like gassing him up. Like, you're right, man. They come to see you, man. It is hard for you to say I'm sorry. I like, <laughs> didn't think he was gassing him. That would be funny if it was David Foster gassing him up. <laughs> He's like, you know what? Yeah, it is hard to say you're sorry. No, it is. I, I Trust me. I believe you. I want to make this song happen for you. It's like, it's, it's, it may be hard for you to say you're sorry, but it ain't hard for me to say that they're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. It's hard for me to say they're sorry, but not for you. Because these songs suck. <laughs> like, I just, now I'm just imagining like a uh, Chicago, a, a No Doubt style video with like Chicago to the side and they're like moving them out of the way to take pictures while making, of Peter while making, making the, the video record, yeah. for hard to say I'm sorry because like they talked about that to where who's the leader like, who's the leader like, oh, we're, we're, there is no leader it's like and All right, well, well who's who, singing the song who, who's singing the song and so they ended up focusing on and like he looked so different like he cut his hair and he yeah, had like the hair. the blonde swoosh and the 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 the, the thing that showed to me that Oh, he he's he's starting to his head's getting bigger mm-hmm. with that video. Everyone's wearing like bright colors, like with a white dark, blazer yeah. <laughs> or, you know, something, some light color. He's wearing a black, a black blazer. Yeah. No shirt. <laughs> that was that. That's that. Well, that means it's 80s. But still, yeah. a black blazer with no shirt. <laughs> he's feeling himself, man. 
And they're like, yeah, he got himself in great physical shape. And mm-hmm. He had more confidence. Head. Yeah. Started wearing sleeveless shirts. <laughs> like, just like, I'm, I'm Peter Cetera. And he, um, uh, yeah, the, the, if you watch the video, the focus is on him as yeah. if he's the lead singer. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, for all intents and purposes to a lot of people, he is. Yeah. Like most people that don't know, if you don't know them from the 70s and the 60s and all you know is the 80s. He is the lead singer of, of Chicago. And in some cases, hard to say, I'm sorry, is a Peter Cetera song. Like, oh, yeah, he did that, Peter. Yeah, he did that along with, you know, all, the glory of love. No, no, he was in Chicago when he did that. <laughs> that was not him solo. He just kind of stole the sound when he went solo. And there was another song that kind of sounded exactly the same. It's hard to say, I'm sorry. It was another ballad. Well, all those songs, like Hard to Say, I'm Sorry, and what was the, there was another one right after that. Um, let's see. Which was funny because that was like as I'm watching this and Kendra's watching, she's like doing something in the kitchen. I'm like, you. She's like, I don't know much about Chicago. I'm like, you know these songs. Trust me. <laughs> I tried to sing them. She didn't get them. They came on. She's like, oh, I know that song. I'm like everyone knows that song. Like that's if you don't know anything else about Chicago, you know these songs. And it's just so funny because like. That's not how they sounded <laughs> from the album Chicago 16, because they just made that many albums. Good Lord. Um, was it love me tomorrow? I think that was it. Cause that was, that came after. Yeah. I know it was a single cause there, there was a video for it, but it seemed like it was just Peter Cetera in the video. Looking off into the distance. Yeah. Yeah. He did that a lot in there. <laughs> As those ballads should be. Was there state of night, hard habit to break? You're the inspiration. That's it. You're yes, the inspiration. you're the, the inspiration. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, that's not a that's not a Satara solo song. That is just that is him. Yeah. Um. What other notes do you have? Let us see. So I'm not gonna lie. After they kicked out the drummer, I lost all respect for this documentary and for the members of Chicago. They turned on the drummer. They didn't want him to worry about the business. He got you out of the bad contract all because he couldn't play to a click track. Who cares? And not, well, not only like he couldn't play the click track. Um, it seemed like he didn't want to. Yeah. I don't think you want to. I mean, um, like it's hard to play. But to they a felt click. like he was, he was getting sloppier even during live shows. Yeah. So they felt like he couldn't play anymore. And then he, he's like, so I went and got with the teacher mm-hmm. and worked for six weeks and came back. And they were like, yeah, nothing's changed. Yeah. It's like he lost his job to injury. Like he came back. <laughs> he's like, I'm, all right, my foot's healed. And he like, got, he got mm. Alex Smith out there. Yeah, he got Alex Smith. Because <laughs> um, he's a good drummer. Like as, as, a, as a budding drummer. <laughs> Like he's pretty good. Like he, like you listen to him. They like he's very, you know, he's from the school of Buddy Rich, who is also a very good drummer. Like, how are you gonna compare him to like a legendary you're gonna, you're gonna, drummer? Compared to one of the greats, yeah, like one of the greatest drummers of all time, and be like, we didn't want him in the band. Like, I felt like they were going back and saying like he was never good. I was like, hold up a minute, let's pump the brakes here. <laughs> how are you gonna say this dude was never good? Like he was. You can say maybe he got sloppy, but don't dare go back and say he was never good and. While he was focusing on the business, he should have been focusing on drums. Okay, yeah, he should have focused on the drums, and y'all still be playing shows at the Druggy Ranch, <laughs> not making no money. <laughs> Let's see, see if y'all like that. Yeah. Um, 
as I, I guess as time went on, they got they had the the new the new singer, um, Josh, something. Josh Homme. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, they brought him in. Josh Chef. There we go. Oh, Jason Chef. Excuse me, Jason. Jason Chef. Chef. Yes. Uh, bringing him in, and they had a couple more hits with him. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't realize they had that many hit songs in the eighties. Me either. Uh, I thought they were along the lines of like thirty eight special. <laughs> They sound one way in one decade, in the next decade. Wait, what? That's a thirty-eight special <laughs> song. No way. Um, but yeah, what 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 did you think of the redone twenty-five or six to four? Um, clearly eighties. Oh, very eighties. Uh, you know, they. I think it was just, hey, let's remake a song for the new decade. Yeah, I think with the video, they were really trying to go for the um, Pink Floyd. Yeah, look. it was like Pink Floyd. Uh, part. Um, remember that Olympics commercial? Which one? Uh, well, it was during the Olympics, but it was for the uh the Mac computer, yeah, the first Mac computer, Big Brother. Yeah, yeah. It. I think they were going like part Big Brother, part Pink Floyd there. Yeah. But was, the song doesn't. The, the song doesn't fit the motif. No, the song then, does not. It's about song, writing a song. Because the songs, about, yeah, the songs about writing a song when you're, you know, it. 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, that's, uh, why, why, why are we doing this? So the, it didn't, it didn't make sense. I think they were just trying to cash in on, um, on what was the, like the popular, uh, motif at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think there's a lot of like eighties videos like that to mm-hmm. where the songs about something much more simple, but then, we're going to have this big budget and try to make some mini movie out of it. And the nineties was the complete opposite. Like we were going to like strip this down and just show you playing the song. And maybe we'll show a picture of a guitar by itself. And then you, and then, and then there's some girl looking yeah. out in the window and it's raining inside like, it's, and the <laughs> curtains are flowing, but it's also raining. Yeah. Like they just, <laughs> it's a weird decade. So yeah, both decades were pretty weird. Only seem, they seem to spend more reasons. money in the eighties. Like I bet that video cost a, a pretty penny, and yeah. it had nothing to do with twenty five or six to four, <laughs> nothing. Um, I didn't mind it, but I guess it was just um, disorienting for some people. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a Chicago fan and you like that song, mm-hmm. and you're gonna remake it, and it sounds so different, yeah. You know, very like slow down. Yeah, the like electronic drums and you know, just yeah, I didn't. It sounded like a slow down yes song. Yeah. <laughs> that is pretty apt, actually. <laughs> That's pretty apt. Um, I didn't mind it, but it didn't. It the the reasoning to make the reason behind it mm-hmm. didn't make sense. No, it did not. And they had that Jeff Chef guy, Jason Chef, singing it, right? Yeah, yeah, that really didn't make any sense. I, I don't know what they were going for. Me either. I mean, I, there was some kind of desperation there. Maybe they Me. thought they were going to get dropped from the label again or something. <laughs> That's got to be a, a, a kind of a sinking feeling to like, once you get dropped from a label, could it happen again? Especially like if you're a band like Chicago and you're not used to it, you know, mm-hmm. I would be nervous too. So, yeah. Um, what else you got? Like I said, that, after that, it oh, just, you, lost, you lost all respect. For I, the I, I mean, I, stu- I kept watching, but I was just like, I can't believe anything else they say. 
like when Peter Cetera was like, I felt like, you know, I didn't want to leave. They forced me out after they kicked out the drummer. I was like, maybe they did. Like they just, they're kicking out the drummer. Um, I mean, like I said, it felt like it was a, a, a very, a cry to get into the rock and roll hall of fame. Yeah. Uh, for your consideration. (laughs) (laughs) It seemed that way. Uh, especially when they were talking to, um, the, the record exec that signed them after they got dropped from Columbia, mm-hmm. Clive he, Davis too, and Clive Davis saying, "Oh, it's a shame that they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame." I, I don't know how. And then at the very end, they oh, by get the way, the Rock made, and Roll yeah. Hall of Fame. So, um, you know, I think they were putting it the like because it was was another member of the band, mm-hmm. Pardini. I think that was his name who uh, he's in the band. He's the one who directed the documentary. Oh, he was. Okay. Yeah. Or is the same last name as someone in the band, but they, um, they were probably putting this together and then they found out they were a finalist for the hall of fame. It's like, okay, let's wait. <laughs> see, see if it happens. And then they get in and they're like, okay, we can use this. They can tie it all together to, um, that they they finally made the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, I definitely think it was it was going to be a for your for your consideration if they did not get in there. Yeah, um, I was like, how much did they pay Clive Davis for this statement? Because <laughs> it sounded forced. Like, why aren't they in there? Rah, 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 rah. Like, do you really believe that, Clive? Or are you just saying that? Did they pay you? I mean, I believed it. I thought they were in there. I'll be honest, but yeah. Uh, do you think that? Uh, if had Peter Cetera participated in this documentary, <laughs> would it have changed your perspective? Like, do you think he was treated fairly or it was like, well, you know, he, I would, I would want to hear his side of the story. Cause it, you know, he may shine a light on a couple of things. I would like to hear a side of the story only because a lot can happen when you're, when like one person gets pushed to the front and the other band members might feel, might've felt slighted. Cause you know, he's like, Oh, every song doesn't, Every son doesn't need horns. You know, the horn section gonna feel some type of way about that. Like, what do you mean? Every son doesn't need horns. Every song needs horns. That's that's the Chicago sound. So um I mean I'd be I'd be interested in hearing just what he had to say more than anything. More so than his I don't know if it would change how I felt. Hell it might make it worse. But I mean I'd I'd be interested to hear what he said. I mean at worst, he you know, he just confirms that he's the D bag that we thought he was. <laughs> um, at most, he just kind of like you know, hey, this is why I acted the way I acted, and I'd be interested to hear that. Yeah, um, I would have liked to have, to have heard from him just to get his perspective. Um, if not him, then at least there. I don't think I, even though he he got there at a certain point, mm-hmm. there wasn't enough David Foster. No, there was not. No, <laughs> which means there needs to be a David Foster documentary. Yeah. That's yeah. what we need. The life of David Foster. Call it 16 Grammys. The life of David Foster. <laughs> Unless he wins another, then 17 Grammys. The life of David Foster. Just every time he wins one, just update the title <laughs> of the documentary. Like fifth edition, life of David Foster, 18 <laughs> Grammys. Like I could just see the cover having the picture of the piano with the Grammys on it. Like that's all you need. Um, no, I agree. Like there was not. So I feel like, like you kind of said, there's a lot they glossed over very long history of that band, but like their major success, they like glossed over it with just like, and so they went on to do this and this and this, and then they just stopped and they're like, all right, this is important and kept going. It's like, what about the being the first band, you know, major pop band to play in Japan? 
that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, just a, we just got a little blurb about that. Yeah, like all the singles. Oh, just got a little blurb about that. Like, oh, that y'all went back to London, but y'all weren't welcome back because of something Terry said before. Yeah, what like, did Terry? Yeah, let's like, talk about that. You know, that could have been a story. Yeah, yeah. but I guess it wasn't important enough. <laughs> um. It's a, it's a it's a two hour documentary. They they said a lot, but I feel like there was there was a little more that probably could have been said. Um, remember thinking about it, it was a lacking by not having Peter Cetera or Bill Champlin. Um, they kind of they they were able to talk more about. I'll be interested to note because like Bill Champlin didn't participate. Mm-hmm. It's like like one thing my father told me: if you have don't have anything <laughs> nice to say, don't say anything at all. Ooh, that was funny. I, I, like. I would want to know, like, what was the story? Like, mm-hmm. even like, how how did he, even if he didn't participate, they could have spoken on it. Mm-hmm. What was their perspective in kicking him out? What was so bad that he wouldn't speak on it? Like, what led him to say, they're coming to see me? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, you know what? You're fired. Yeah. Like, what was that? Yeah. Like, what, what led to that? You know, um. Because I, I mean, it would it would have added a little more. Because um, I think once once um, the David Foster years mm-hmm. were done, once Peter Cetera left, yeah, yeah, you it, basically there they had two, like basically two stories that they could go with. Like one was the remake of twenty five, was it twenty five, twenty five or six to four, or six to four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then look away was another, was there like their last hit? Yeah. Let's see here. Um, and then that was it. And then they just kind of went on to where were all these different members of the band, um, how they come in and basically they felt, well, it's interesting that they felt like they were re reinventing themselves, mm-hmm. but they kept kicking out members who couldn't <laughs> play like them. Which was really funny. And that's kind of what frustrated me. I was like, they're fire happy. <laughs> like, they have no problem, like, kicking out, you know, people. I, I, it's just weird. Like, ah, oh, this guitar player's not working. Let's just kick him out. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and was it just like the, the, the drummer they have now had, has been there for 20 years? Mm-hmm. Well, that seems like a long time. That's 1998. Yeah. 90, 96, 97, possibly, yeah. when this documentary came out. Um, He hadn't been there for the hits. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it, it, they're basically just trying to find people who can play their stuff the way that they are to, you know, one, they play it exactly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that and that's it. Like it doesn't <laughs> like, can you play our, and th- but they also feel like they're reinventing themselves, which I didn't really understand. I, I didn't, didn't really like get the feeling that they were actually doing that. Well, I mean, they did forcibly when David Foster came in <laughs> <laughs> and then it's kind of like they went back to, you know, and just their reputation was built on live shows and they just went back to that reputation that they had built on live shows. Um, as we want to do with documentaries, we'll look at the reviews. Oh yes, IMDb on I IMDb. Pretty uh, decent, actually. One reviewer gave it a seven. Uh, he said first half a ten, second half five point five. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on that one. Yeah, um, 
So this first half of this documentary was refreshing, informative, and offers viewers a great deal of background info using unique film techniques that work really well. I did like that because I, I, I was, I, I, it took me a while to even realize that they were doing that, that mm-hmm. they had like some, some side scenes. Um, like it was just like the back of Terry's head. Yeah. Um, to give like another band members perspective of mm-hmm. what they were kind of seeing on stage. Um, said so in the first half of the film interviews with the band members were honest and provided thought provoking context for the various storylines. However, viewers should keep in mind that this documentary was produced by the band and its founding members. Like <laughs> I said, that Pardini. Um, so we only get one perspective, the one, the band wanted us to see and hear. Yeah. The result is a great deal of score settling in the second half of the documentary that goes unchallenged. Yeah, exactly. We don't know what happened. The lone exception was drummer Danny Serafin, who deserves high praise for his openness and honesty throughout. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, impartial or objective are not terms to associate with this film. <laughs> As most documentaries are. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, look at we talked about hired gun. You know, you could watch that and think Billy Joel is a demon. And Alice and Cooper, like, a superhero. you know, was the, like, was basically Schindler's List. Like, he just got him. <laughs> he exiled the Jews. He, he operated the Underground Railroad with Harriet Tubman. Like, I, for me, the soundtrack is really what made it. Uh, one, uh, well, that was a seven. That guy, mm-hmm. one person gave it a one. Yeah, I saw that review. Are you at the one where it was very disappointed? And now, yeah, uh, yeah. you can go read that one. I was very disappointed in the production and information and in of this doc. Not very well written and with unnecessary cheap reenactments. I give them credit for old pictures and footage of the band in earlier years. Therefore, they earned my one point for that. Ooh, edgy. <laughs> But even the pictures and the footage felt crammed into the film. It was very boring. Eh, it was not boring. And negative when the current band members gave their interviews. They were <laughs> they were snarky and mean. It was unsighted in favor of the current band lineup, while the former band members were all either pretty much um, either thrown under the bus or just playing completely ign- ignored completely. Bill Champlin. I don't think that's fair because they did reach out to these people. They just didn't want to participate. Well, they, well, I think in what they're saying is they kind of just glossed over their contribution. Oh, well, no, no doubt. But at that point, like, that's your fault. Like, if you don't want to participate, <laughs> you can't be mad if they don't talk about you. Like someone like a Peter Zotero, he can't gloss over his what he did. But we can gloss over a couple other people. <laughs> um, I didn't walk away feeling like I had learned anything new about the band except that they had enormous egos and that I will never go to another Chicago concert again. This sounds like it was written by somebody in the band. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I feel I feel like it was written by a, a, a white suburban mom. You think so? Easy B Green? Anyone with Green from Chicago? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. No? Not a band member last year. Okay. No. Because I was like, this could have been a band member who's like, I was very disappointed. They were snarky and they didn't let me say anything. I wasn't in it at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Peter Cetera, we know that. I know that writing style. Yeah, it gave it a one. I don't think it deserves a one, but. Uh, one person gave it a three. Yeah. Biased, arrogant, and melodramatic. Part of it was melodramatic. I'll say that. Oh, okay. The director, writer, and producer of this movie, Peter Pardini, is the nephew of Chicago's current keyboard player, Lou Pardini. Mm. 
the bias and defensiveness of the remaining and less talented band member Shade. <laughs> is transparent Whoa. for the first few minutes of the film. IG, oh, excuse me, EG in opening lines like we're all replaceable. Most big name bands have their arrogant member or two, but usually it's the lead singer. Not the case here. I'm unsure why CNN is involved in this flick. There's obviously a good story and some good material here, but rock docs like VH1 behind the scenes were more balanced and entertaining. I think they mean behind, behind the music, music yeah. and usually left you wanting more. The first half of this doc is good, but after the band is turned into a shadow of itself and studio guns take over some positions, drums, <laughs> the, sto- <clears throat> the story starts to feel like the current band, just not that interesting, but still full of itself. Yeah. And that's oh, why yeah, this, yeah. the uh, second part kind of missed the moment where, <clears throat> where, uh, is it Jeff Beccaro from, from Toto mm-hmm. played drums on one of the songs? Oh, I didn't know. I missed I think I missed that part. I I think they mentioned that because I, it was kind of like the beginning of the end for Danny Seraphin. <laughs> <laughs> Can't replace like, Jeff Beccaro. Like he's too good. <laughs> I think he's just like, what is Jeff Beccaro doing here? Taking your job. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so yeah, that's um, that was another review. I mean, what what would you give the score here? I mean, I, you do have to rate this first half, second half. Like I said, after they fired the drummer, all bets are off. After they fired the drummer, it was like, all right, now you're just like patting yourself on the back. <laughs> and so for that part, yeah, I'll probably give it a three out of ten. Um, but for the first half, where we're learning everything, like seven, solid seven, seven and a half. The music was so good. I wish we learned more about what they did overseas and what Terry Kath did, that why they could never go back to SeaWorld. <laughs> so they could, like, why could they never go back to the UK? Like, what did he say? Um, and then just the music. Like, I wrote down, they might be one of the most talented pop bands ever. Like, yeah. they were so good. And to be able to write that well, man, they were really good. Yeah, they were... Uh, uh to work together with that many people mm-hmm. as we have it's like seven, eight members at a time uh, to all work together like that. And to like, that's what your sound is. Mm-hmm. You create your sound this way and to work together that way. And still most of the members still be there 50 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, the less talented ones, of course, the, but they're clearly, <laughs> yeah, they're clearly the less talented. <laughs> And they're 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 not the names. Mm-mm. The names that you know are Peter Cetera and yeah. Terry Kath. <laughs> One's dead and one don't want to talk. So. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we. Well, I don't think we had we had started the podcast by then. But with every Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, mm-hmm. we there's always good, like there's always that band that, that yeah. broke up years ago. Like, are all the members going to show up? So. At that point, um, yeah, for that year, it would have been Peter Chicago. Yeah. It's Peter Cetera coming, and he didn't show up. Uh, do you think that um, he'll regret it, or is he just waiting for his own Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Don't I don't you? think he did enough <laughs> to get in there. I mean, maybe he regrets it. I don't know. Rob Thomas did induct them, so I mean, it was kind of like, it's like, oh, man, I missed my chance to meet Rob Thomas. <laughs> Like that was your shot, man. Never get that chance again. I mean, as arrogant as he seemed, I don't think he'll regret it. He's probably like, you know, couldn't have done it without me. Yeah. He probably <laughs> thinks the 80s is what put them over the edge. 
He's probably just went ahead and started marketing himself as Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you know, they wouldn't have got in if it wasn't for you're the inspiration, right? You know, that's what put them in. Like, I know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's what got him in there. Really? I thought it was like, you know, Chicago one and two. And th- no, uh, no, no. Hard to say. I'm sorry. That's when they knew. <laughs> they were like, we were on the fence. And then you released that song with Peter, Peter Cetera in the, in the jacket with no shirt, <laughs> with the blonde hair and the like big white teeth. And we said, we need them in the Hall of Fame. Yes. You know, that would have been the speech. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, induct in myself. Like, <laughs> uh, is there anything else you want to add about, uh, about this documentary? Other than 25 or 6 to, six to 4 is one of my favorite guitar solos ever now. Just a really good song. That's about it, though. All right. Um, So uh, that'll do it for our conversation about now more than ever, the history of Chicago. You can check it out on Netflix right now. So we'll get to um, my earworm of the week. Uh, One of the artists that I've been listening a lot to, uh, he hasn't come out with an, an actual album yet. But he's been releasing a lot of singles over the last <laughs> two years. Uh, his name is S.G. Lewis. And um, there's one uh, one of his songs. A lot of people have been making little Instagram videos and tagging him mm-hmm. for one of his newest songs. And it's called Aura. And it's uh, S.G. Lewis featuring Jay Warner. So... Um, gonna play that like I say it's just a single he doesn't have an album yet <laughs> so this is aura by sg lewis featuring jay warner and we'll be right back Energy now, girl. Ooh, you can't 
YHT Airworks playlist right now. It's a good track. All right, so that'll bring us to the end of our program. Ben, can you tell the people where we can be found? This is the end. <laughs> but yes, I can tell you where it can be found. So if you're watching us, how you doing? Um, you found our Facebook page. Congratulations. Um, that's the first step in winning our treasure hunt. but you found us facebook.com slash by the time you hear this if you want to check us out on our uh, official blog website um, by the time you hear this.com if you want to find us on Instagram we are at by the time you hear this spelled with the letter U and that is because we're upstanding yeah we is and not under investigation no we ain't um, or under non-disclosure agreement, but <laughs> not going to talk about not that. that either. Um, our website is spelled with the word you Y O U as well as our Facebook page. So, you know, drop us a line on the, um, on the Facebook page or, you know, at the website. Um, if you want to drop us an email, you can email us at by the time you hear this also spelled like the Instagram page with the letter U. um, check us out. Um, Drop us a line, excuse me. Um, you can find us on Podomatic. You can find us on Instagram. I said Instagram. You can find us on iTunes, the other I word. iTunes, Google Play. Um, you can find us on CastBox, Satchel Podcast Player. Uh, you can find us on TuneIn Radio. Um, and really any other um, aggregate. Oh, Auto Radio. Don't want to forget them. Yes. Um, or any other aggregate um, podcasting type thing or whatever like that so check us out drop a review um i know you can do reviews on itunes i'm not 100 percent sure if you can do reviews on google music but anywhere else you can do review you know hey you know leave us a review rate us um as i always hear the other podcasts i listen to say it helps people find us so yeah listen to us uh while explaining um where you can find us it was just our logo showing the whole time oh. they didn't hear it <laughs> yeah so they didn't see me wave because you found our Facebook page. Hi. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> now you can see us. Congratulations. <laughs> you won. <laughs> um, so yeah, that will do it for our program. Um, what should we end the show with? Does anybody know what time it really is? All right. Well, love that classic Chicago sound. <laughs> it is time for us to end our show, but I hope you do enjoy this song as we end our program. Thank you to everyone who has listened and downloaded so far. We definitely appreciate it. Spread the word. Let people know. And uh, we'll we'll make events for to where we'll do our next live broadcast. Um, just to bring more people in. I mm-hmm. think that'll work. Yeah. All right. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you very, very soon. Peace. Peace. <laughs>
was walking down the street one day. 